Well, it's good to be back in St. Faith. Thank you for coming out. We do appreciate you being here. Uh, at a funeral today, and I was speaking to David Anderson, and he was asking for all the folk here. I know that uh, he, he's known to many of you, and so I, I pass that on. Could you turn with me to Second Samuel 23, please, tonight? Second Samuel 23. As you know, we're doing a series on the life of David. On Sunday morning, we looked at David and the day of famine, and we looked at 2 Samuel 21. Sunday night, we looked at David and the day of loneliness, and we looked at that amazing Psalm, Psalm 142. And then last Wednesday night, we went back to Sunday school because we were looking at David in a time of battle, and we looked at 1 Samuel 17 and David and Goliath, and I trust that that was a blessing. I trust they're practical because we all face times of spiritual famine whenever we're maybe not growing and developing the way we ought to. We always have times of loneliness when we need God's help and times of spiritual battle. And we come tonight to David in a day of harvest. And so we're reading 2 Samuel 23. We're breaking into the narrative at verse 13 and reading through to verse 17. And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in an hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men broke through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. And amen. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge as we open your word that the teacher is always the Holy Spirit. And so, our Father, we use the words of the hymn writer when he said, Spirit of God, my teacher be showing the things of Christ to me. So, Father, open our hearts, open our minds, that we might glean all that you would have us glean from your word tonight. In the Savior's name we pray. Amen. Many years ago, when I was a lot younger, I was camping in the morns. Four of us went, and we decided to camp at Hers Gap, and if you know the morns, it's a wee saddle between Sleeve Burner and Sleeve Naglock. And it's a, a wee hollow and it's very, very windy. And uh, the two other boys that were with us, they got their tent up quickly. They found soft ground. And so the tent pegs pushed in easily. They didn't even need a hammer. They could just press them into the ground. And they laughed at us, me and my friend David, as we hammered our spikes into the hard ground. I should have told them that what goes in easily comes out easily. Because in the middle of the night there was a storm and their pegs lifted and their tent went down the mountainside and our two-man tent became a four-man tent. Hmm? (laughs) 
when it comes to theology, don't take the easy, soft option. But rather take time to hammer your pegs into the hard rock of God's word so that whenever the storms of life come, the pegs won't come out easily and you'll be able to weather the storm. You'll stand firm in days of storm. David in a day of harvest. And you will have noticed in the text that we're in the cave of Adullam, verse 13, which is about 13 miles south of Bethlehem towards the Dead Sea and Jericho. It was a place of haven for David. And there gathers his family and uh, people who were uh, fugitives and on the runs and people in debt. And they gathered to David there at the cave of Adullam, some 400 men. And there we are at a time of harvest in the cave of Adullam. I want you to notice, first of all, the desire of David's heart. Verse 15 tells us, And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. This was a nostalgic moment for David. This was an if-only moment. He was born in Bethlehem. And his father, Jesse, and, and seven brothers, Eliab, Abinadab, Shammah, and all these brothers, would have said to David, the young fella, go and get me water from the well. David knew the path. He knew what it was like. And my, back in the day, the water tasted so good. He maybe reminisced about the day that Samuel arrived at Bethlehem, First Samuel 16, And he was called in from the fields to be anointed the future king of Israel. But it hadn't happened. Here he is in the cave of Adullam, not in the palace. And he's having one of those nostalgia moments. Oh, if only I could have a drink from the well in Bethlehem. The theologians tell us that this request was the simple silent whisper of his heart. And that's interesting because David could have commanded these men as their military commander. He could have commanded them to go and get him water from the well. And they would have said, yes, sir. And they would have gone and obeyed the command. Or such was the rapport and the relationship that David had with his men. He could have simply asked them to go. And they would have obeyed and tried to do as much as they can. Such was their love for David. And they would have gone willingly. But this wasn't a command. This wasn't even a suggestion. This was the theologians tell us. But the cry of his heart. I imagine that David was in a quiet moment of meditation. Maybe oblivious to the fact that anybody was within earshot. He was hot, he was thirsty. And he said, oh, that someone would get me a drink from Bethlehem. And I suspect that when these men went, that David didn't even know anything about it. He was unaware of their strategy, unaware of their scheme. You might say, well, pastor, answer me a question. If if this was just the whisper of David's heart, then how did these men know? Well, that's easy. These three men lived so close to their master. 
that they knew the pining of his heart. These three men lived so close to David that they knew his longing and knew his desire. It's a wonderful thing to know the longing of the master's heart. There is a danger, you know, as we live our Christian lives, that that relationship that was so close the night we trust him as our Savior, that that becomes distant. The things become cloudy. That, that there's hindrances and obstacles that get in the way. Like a woman going to the, the tomb on that first Easter morning. And as they walk, they're not talking about the miracles. They're not talking about his preaching. They're not talking about the wonderful things that he had done during his life's ministry, the three years of public ministry. But their conversation was, who will roll away the stone? There was some, there was a blocking their way from seeing the Savior and ministering to the Savior, anointing him. And, and as they walked, I would have turned back. I would have said, there's no point going any further. There's a stone. They sealed it. But these, these women kept on walking and they found that God had removed the obstacle. God had removed the stone and they were able to deal with his uh, go to see that he wasn't there. So these men went. David knew nothing about it. How did these men, three men know? They lived so close to the master. I wonder, is it possible tonight to know the heartbeat of God? Well, for those maybe tuning in who are not Christians, we know that the heartbeat of God for those who are not Christians is that they would trust in him, that they would come to him and trust him with all their heart. We are separated from him because of our sin. And, and because of Calvary, we can know that fresh cleansing, that, that repentance of our sin and that relationship with Jesus Christ. Without that, there is no hope of heaven. But as Christians, is it possible to know the whisper of God, to hear his voice? Do you remember Elijah, whenever he went to Horeb, the Mount of God? And he was in the cave in Horeb. He had had a rough time. He had had the victory on Mount Carmel. And then he had that attack of spiritual depression. And he says, Lord, take away my life. I'm not better than my father's. And the Lord put him down to sleep. And the Lord woke him and gave him a meal. And put him down to sleep again. And then he awoke and God fed him again. He went on the strength of that meal for 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. I think, I think Elijah would have been quite happy to stay there. To be a hermit on Horeb the rest of his life. But one day he heard the still, small voice. The Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the fire. The Lord was not in the, in the wind. But he was in the still, small and it was interesting in that story that Elijah came out of the cave and wrapped his mouth about his head. Why was that? I remember many years ago, I think it was an Audi advert and for Audi cars, and, and uh, they, they had come out with a great deal. And, and in the advert, this man put a bucket over his head because they were talking about the great bargain of this Audi car. And he says, I don't want to hear this. And he put the bucket over his head. I, I think Elijah, as he came out of the cave and he wrapped the mantle on his head, he was saying, I don't want to hear this. Lord, I'm happy to stay at Horeb. I, I, I don't want to be involved anymore. But the Lord called him back into service. 
Do you ever hear the still, small voice? That, that conviction in your heart. That awareness in your mind. That sense that God is speaking. That sense that God is calling. What would God's whisper be tonight? I think he's calling us closer to intimacy with him, to holiness with him, to Christ-likeness. He longs to bless us and use us and utilize us for his glory. The still small voice. I'm reminded of John 13 in the upper room. The Lord Jesus revealed that one was going to betray him. And there was a stir. There was a stunned silence as they all looked at each other. Who would dare? Who would dare betray the master? And if you read carefully, you'll discover that Peter looked to John and prompted John to ask the Lord, Lord, who is it? Who will it be? Why did Peter not ask? Well, Peter knew that John was closer to the Lord, not just physically, but spiritually. John knew the heartbeat of the Master. He knew the still, small voice. Can I ask you tonight, are you near to the Master's heart? It's important. Think of the elders here praying for a new pastor, trying to guide the fellowship in a time of vacancy. May they need to know the heart of the master. Leela Morris in the late 1800s put it like this. Nearer, still nearer, close to thy heart. Draw me, my Savior, so precious thou art. Fold me, O oh, fold me, close to thy breast. Shelter me safe in that haven of rest. To switch off the television... Switch off the media, switch off the phone, and get to know the heartbeat of God, to know the whisper of the Master, to let Him bless you, let Him encourage you and strengthen you. He knows all about the tears. He knows all about the sorrows and the heartaches and the worry and the panic. He knows about it all. We need to spend time, like these three men, to know the heartbeat, to know the whisper of the Master. I remember hearing about a, a leadership conference and the person who was taking the leadership had all these young executives sitting in front of him. And one day he came into the lecture hall and he put a big jar on the desk. And then into that desk he put about four or five big boulders. And he said to the young executives, he says, well now, is the jar full? And they said, yes, it's full. He says, no, it's not full. And he got pebbles and he put the pebbles and the pebbles fell between the big boulders right up to the top. And he says, is it full now? They said, yes, it's full now. He says, no, it's not. And he poured sand in and the sand fell between the pebbles, between the boulders, right up to the top. And he says, is it full now? Well, it caught on by the stage. They said, probably not. He said, that's right. And he got water and he poured the water in the field between the sand, between the pebbles, between the boulders, right up to the top. He says, it's full now. What's the lesson, he said? One young fellow put his hand up. He says, I know, no matter how full you think your diary is, if you shake it around, you'll always fit something more in. <laughs> but the lecture said this, no. He says, the lesson is this. If you don't put the big boulders in first, you'll not get them in at all. 
And I meet Christians almost every day. And they fill their lives with the pebbles and the sand and the water, the things that are not the big issues. And they feel and they say they've no time and they've no room for the big things. If you don't put the big boulders in first, you'll not get them in at all. What are the big boulders? The big boulders is time in the Word. The big boulders is time to pray. The big boulders is time for worship and getting to know our God and getting to know His heartbeat and getting to know his mind, and getting to know his will for our lives. The desire of David's heart. But secondly, I want you to see the devotion of David's men. These three men took off on a suicide mission and broke through the Philistine ranks just to satisfy a whim of their master. I say, we're short of men like this. And we're short of women like this. That that refuse to count the cost. Who refuse the path of comfort and human logic. And against massive odds went in for the well done of the master. People like this are like hen's teeth, we would say in the north of Ireland. They're very rare. Today, many would call these men fanatics or extremists or militants. I would call them visionaries. And church history has revealed a few such people. And if I started to list them, my would run out of time. Men like Jonathan Edwards, born 1703, died in 1758. He had learnt Greek and Hebrew and Latin before the age of 13. God used him to bring revival, the Great Awakening to America, Jonathan Edwards. Men like John Wesley, who died in 1791. Men like George Whitfield, died 1770. Men like D.L. Moody, who died in 1899. Men like Billy Sunday, who died, I think, in 1935. Our own W.P. Nicholson, who was born in Bangor, who died in 1934, I think. Maybe 54, down in Cork. Gladys Aylward, missionary to China, died in 1970 in Taiwan. Corrie Ten Boom died in 1983. Mary Slesser died in Nigeria in 1915. Mighty men and women who stood firm and did not fear the opposition. They went for God, not counting the cost. They're a rarity today. Do you know any? Who will not count the cost like these three men, and for the whim of their master, will tear it, will go out on them, just to get them a glass of water. In 2 Samuel 23, the task of getting water was difficult. You'll notice in verse 15 that the well was by the gate. That was the most fortified part of the city, the most fortified part of the town. It's where the risk was, where people could come in and out at leisure. That was the most fortified part, and that's where the well was. And obviously they had an element of surprise when they were going. But imagine trying to get back through the enemy lines without spilling the water. Some 13 miles 
from Bethlehem down to the cave of En Gedi. Difficult. These men tried the incredible, achieved the impossible. Reminds me of Daniel 11. Whenever it said that people that do know their God will be strong and do exploits. And Isaac Watts, 1700, he wrote, When I survey the wondrous cross, and that line that love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Dear Christian, I plead with you tonight, as we think of God's amazing provision for us on the cross, as we think of all that he's done for us from whence we got saved, how he's been through the valleys with us, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. It's time for us to be active and involved for him. Time to get close. Time to get committed. Time to be courageous. The enemy is on the advance. The church seems to be weak and insipid. Warren Wearsby wrote a book, The Strategy of Satan. It was published in 1979, I think. But he he wrote this. He speaks of Satan's advance as a deceiver, as a destroyer, as a ruler, as an accuser. But he said this, but he can be defeated by devoted men and women who will advance against the odds with God's truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that with all my heart. I was sitting some weeks ago watching the World Snooker Championship in the Crucible in Sheffield. Finished on the 1st of May, I think. But it brought me back. I reminisced. I remember sitting with my father, who's now in glory, and we were watching the snooker. And my father, who really hadn't played any snooker in his life, but every time they missed a ball, he said, would you look at that? Imagine. What on earth were they doing? And another miss. And look, look at that, he would say. Imagine. I mean, that was a simple one. And so it went through the whole match, and he was busy giving. You see, it's very easy when you're just watching, isn't it? It's very easy when you're just on the, watching the television screen or viewing from the sidelines. But when you're at the table and you're trying to control things and trying to get it right, it's a different game entirely. And when it comes to the things of God, it's very easy to stand at the sideline and and give advice and say, well, that should be easy and you should be able to do that and you should be able to do the other. It's something else when when it's you. Something else whenever you're having to make decisions and you're trying to make a, a, a stance that is spiritual and godly and true and pure. The desire of David's heart, the whisper of the Master. Dear Christian, it's vital that we know God in such a way that we know the mind of God. I was speaking to someone a few weeks ago, and they said to me very bluntly, they said they they can't remember ever being able to say they heard the voice of God. I was shocked. I really was. God delights to talk to us. God God wants to share with us. 
God speaks to us through his word. We talk to him in prayer. And there's a a two-way communication. And if we've got the stage where we can't hear God's voice, we're in a very difficult position. These men, three men, knew the heart of David's heart. The devotion of David's men. Here they were, they slipped away. They went through the enemy lines. How they did it, we don't know. We're not even told who they are. Their name is not given to us. But oh, what a feat. What courage. What devotion. But thirdly, the dedication of David's action. Look at verse 16. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. David stood with this precious water from the well at Bethlehem that could have satisfied his thirst. But in an act of sacrificial love and devoted worship, he poured it on the ground as a love gift to God. He gave what was so precious to the Lord. He gave what he had received to the Lord. He refused to satisfy himself first. And he just poured it out as a love offering. Too precious. The cost was too high. The risks were so intense. He felt, I can't even, I can't even drink this. The dedication of David's action. Commitment. I remember as a young Christian, whenever I used to sit in meetings such as this, or maybe missionary meetings, I remember as a young Christian, as I heard the challenge of God's word, I would have made a commitment where I sat and said, I'll serve the Lord. But to my shame, I have to say, by the time I got to my car, the notion had gone. And then the next missionary would come and I, or, or a visiting speaker and I heard the ministry and was challenged again and I was on the altar and, and committed. And by the time I got out and got the radio on, I'd forgot about it. And then one time I was reading through the Psalms and got to Psalm 118, 27. And it says about binding the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. The brazen altar had horns on each corner. And when the animal came for sacrifice, big ropes tied the animal down to the horns of the altar. And I realized that whenever you got on the altar in Israel, there was no getting off again. And I realized the next time I felt that call to get on the altar, there'd be no getting off again. There had to be that commitment. Tied the sacrifice to the horns of the altar. There's no getting off. What dedication. David understood that no human being was worthy of the intense devotion that these three men had given him. The desire of David's heart, the whisper, 
these men lived close enough to hear the whisper. The devotion of David's men, they went on a suicide mission, not counting the cost, not weighing it up. They went because they knew it would please the master. And the devotion of David's action, such was the preciousness of this little glass of water that he poured it out to the Lord. It became an act of worship. What do we learn tonight? Where we learn to live so close that we can hear the whisper of God, the desire of David's heart. Many of these other soldiers were doing, no doubt, legitimate things. Pitching their tent, polishing their boots, sharpening their swords, cooking their food. All necessary. No, no fault with any of that. But they missed out on the best. Because they didn't know exactly what the master was looking for. Dear friend, we will only grow in our Christian faith when we know and can hear the voice of the master. Trust me, believe in me, love me with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Live so close you can hear the whisper of God. Secondly, live so light that you can respond to the whisper of God. The devotion of David's men. These men put very little value on their own lives. That they might serve their master. I don't know if they had wives. I don't know if they had families. I don't know, but they certainly had the right priority. Because they were prepared to put all those other things in a secondary place that they might serve the master. There's nothing more important than hearing the well done of God. Live so close that you can hear his whisper. Live so light you can respond to the whisper of God. Live so true that you can turn the whisper of God into an act of worship. The dedication of David's heart. I often wonder if I will be happy if all my effort, such as it is, my sacrifice, such as it is, my very best, is just poured out in the ground as an act of divine worship. Small church was having a reunion and a former member arrived for the meeting. He had become a millionaire and he was there at the celebration and people were asked to share special moments. And the millionaire rose and told how when he earned his very first pound as a little teenager, he was going to frame it and keep it. But a missionary came to the church and spoke about the great need in the mission field. And he had a struggle, a battle in his heart. But whenever the offering plate came round, he put the pound, his first pound that he earned, he put it into the offering plate. And he says, I believe God has blessed me because whenever I was a young boy, I gave everything that I possessed to the Lord. And everybody applauded. And then mommy lady in the back of the hall said, I dare you to do it again. I dare you to do it again. Dear friend, as we seek to live out Christ, last week we were thinking of a time of battle. Tonight we're thinking of a time of harvest and just that longing for a glass of water. Live so close 
you know the Master's heart. Live so light that you can respond and live a life that will be pleasing to Him. And live so true that you will turn that action into an act of worship. David in a day of harvest. If sin feels anything like any other church, we long for days of harvest. We long to see God move. We'll be praying in a moment or two about souls, family members, teenagers, grandchildren, great-grandchildren maybe. Ones that are not saved, some of them have no interest. If ever there was a day when we need to hear the whisper of God, it's now. Hear the whisper of God, the desire of David's heart, the dedication of David's men, and the dedication of David's action. May we hear his voice respond to his voice and may our lives be an act of worship. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these simple thoughts together from your word. We thank you for David. Father, we thank you that here at the time of harvest, even the longing of his heart, these three brave men with the the risk of death decided to go in for the well done of their master. Father, forgive us that we have settled for a simple, comfortable, quiet existence. Father, we pray that we might get the roots down deep, that we might hear your voice, and that we might know what it is to follow thee. Father, we have reached a stage where it's hard to tell a Christian from a non-Christian. There's hardly any difference. But our Father, we pray that even tonight we will go in for the well done of God and that we might hear your voice even another time. Bless as we go to prayer and undertake as we travel homeward. In the Saviour's name we pray. Amen.